I'm honored that you're here. I'm excited about outside, but I'm more excited about opening the Word of God together. And so I want to ask you some questions before we get into our text today. Um, and you can answer those questions. Uh, you could just nod your head. You could shake your head no. You could also uh, say them out loud if you'd like to. However you'd like to answer it, you can answer them. Let me ask you this one. Does God love everyone? Yes, we're going to say them out loud. There we go. I'll let you determine that. Does God want everyone to know him? Yes. Did Jesus die so that everyone could know God? Yes. Has God made a way possible for everyone to know Jesus? Yes. So we're on the same page here. We agree on all of those things. So the, the, the question that, that is obvious coming out of those is how do we do it? If, 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 if God loves everyone and wants everyone to know him and sent his son Jesus so everyone could know him, how can that be possible? How does it happen? Well, it happens with you. It happens with me. It happens with together we. That, that, that's why we're in this series called Together We. Say we. This is important, this idea of together we're doing it, together we do this thing together. And this week, our main idea of our summer and what we're going to talk about is together we reach. Together we reach. You're going to hear us talk about this a lot. Say reach. There we go, reach. And so we're going to talk about reach. We're walking through our core values as a church. These are new core values for us. And what I love about these core values is they're not new to us. They're not unique to us. Let me say that rather. And what I mean by that is these core values have existed in the church from the very beginning of the church. And so when we talk about the first week, together we worship. Man, as a church, we are called to worship. We are called to lift high the praise of, of Jesus. And as we do that, it brings honor and glory to him. And it also transforms us to who we are as followers of Jesus. And then last week we talked about together we equipped. And, and uh, Mark Finney, he said we're to be equipped equippers, right? And we're to be people who are equipped in following Jesus to live out our Christ-centered purpose and then go out and to equip others to do that, to take our next step and help someone else take their next step in their faith walk. And this week we get to together we reach. So worship, equip, and reach. And when I say this word, this idea of reach, I think we see this great in Acts chapter 1. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, really in the book of Acts, we see these core values that we're talking about. That's where we've been every week in our sermons. Um, but here we're going to see this idea of together we, we reach from the very beginning, as soon as Jesus left, the very beginning of the church. So when we say reach, what do we mean? Like as a church, when we say together we reach, what are we talking about? Like it's not just like reaching out, but like what does it mean together we reach? But let me tell you this and help you illustrate, illustrate the point like this. The reason we're gathered in this room today is because of reach. I don't just mean that in that our purpose together as followers of Jesus is to reach. I mean the reason you're sitting in this room is because the gospel reached you. You see, Jesus didn't start in the United States of America. Christianity did not start in the United States of America. The gospel went across the globe. And the reason we sit in this room today is because we've been transformed by the new, good news of the gospel because people before us were faithful to reach the world with the gospel. And the early disciples we see here, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they reached the world with the gospel. This reaching happens in a pretty dramatic fashion, really from the moment Jesus leaves. And so that's why we're going to start in Acts chapter 1. Let's see how it started. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1, reading verses 4 through 14. 
If you would, let's stand in the honor of the reading of God's word as we read verses 4 through 14. It says this, While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. This is talking about Jesus here. And so while Jesus was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going up, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, who has been taken away from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going up into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. Verse 13. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They, they all were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Let's pray. God, we love you. And God, we thank you for the gospel. Let it not grow dull to us. Let it not uh, be commonplace to us because, God, the gospel that saved us is the gospel we need every single day of our lives. And, God, I thank you for how, how I've been transformed by the gospel and for the faithful saints in front of me, how they have been transformed as well. And, God, I pray today if anyone needs to know the truth of that gospel, they would respond to it. They would surrender their life to Jesus. And, God, I, I pray that as we open your word and as we look here in Acts chapter 1, would your word transform us into the image of, and into the behavior and into the likeness you want us to be. And God, as we leave this place, we would look more like you than when we walked into it. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So I, I want to make sure that we all understand or are on the same page here of what's happening in the book of Acts as we jumped into it. I know we've been there for a few weeks now, but this is right at the beginning of the book of Acts. Have you ever been watching a movie or a television show you've been really into and like the story's really picking up and it's getting exciting and you're, you're really leaning in to see what happens and then three words pop up on the screen. To be continued, right? You've had that moment before? It's a terrible moment when everything just shuts down and you're like, I have to wait a week to watch this show again? Or there's a, a popular movie out, one of the top movies of the year. I won't spoil it in case you haven't seen it. But it, this movie's building and building and building. And then it pops up at the end of it. You, you think it's going to finish out. And it says, to be continued next year, right? And it's like, they're just doing that because they want you to spend more money next year at the movie theater. But you're, you're like leaning in because often when these shows or when these movies do this, that they're building to this climactic moment, this moment that you've got to know what's happening. The main character is going through something, and you've got to know what's going to happen. And they throw that to be continued at you right there. Well, Acts was written by Luke, and Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. And we see in the Gospel of Luke, Luke is recording this eyewitness testimony of the life of Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, the one who has come from heaven to, to forgive the people of their sins, to lead the people 
and to victory. And so he's recording the miracles and the, all the amazing things he did throughout his life. And then the, the, the Messiah is put to death on a cross and then he is resurrected from the dead. And the end of the book of Luke says that he is then ascended into heaven and the disciples go back into Jerusalem and the book ends to be continued, right? And I know we've read this and we kind of know the story a little bit, but imagine that moment uh, in real time of like what it's like that you're at this moment and what happens next. Well, Luke, in the book of Acts, he tells us what happens next. And we see, in, in, as, as Luke told in his gospel, and I, and I say this word gospel a lot. I, I want to make sure we're all on the same page of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It, it, is, the, it is the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth so that we could have a way to know God again. He lived a perfect life, and then he was our substitute on the cross. He, took, he went on the cross, and in doing so, took the consequence of our sin. The consequence of our sin is death. And he took that on himself, and he was buried in a tomb, but he was greater than our sin. He was greater than death. He was greater than the tomb, and three days later, he rose again, and defeating the power of sin and death. And when we place our trust and faith in him and are a disciple of his and follow his, we are then uh, saved by him. And so this is the gospel. Luke tells us that in, in, the book, in, in the gospel of Luke. And now we're in Acts, and he shows us what's happening. And the opening pages of this book of Acts shows how God used the early church to launch this movement we now call Christianity. And, and maybe you've taken this for granted. Maybe we, you've been what you consider in, in kind of the Christian family your whole life. But this is where this whole thing started. This is the beginning of it. And these disciples, as they follow Jesus, and now they see Jesus ascend into heaven, they are giving their lives to something so much larger than themselves because they understood the purpose and the importance of it. Look, people today and people throughout time have been looking for purpose in their life. That they want their life to amount to more than what they see right in front of them. They, they, they want it to last past that. I was talking to my father yesterday, and he said he was reading an article that said, hey, go, go forward 150 years, and there's going to be very little remaining of you. Someone else will be living in your house. Your cars will be long gone. There may be a few pictures of you on some bookshelf somewhere, but that's all that lasts. And so people are like, there's got to be more to this life than that. And they want a purpose. I met with a young man just a few days ago, a few weeks ago, and he said, man, I just feel like my life has no purpose. Like I wake up, I eat breakfast, I go to work, I work all day, I come home, I eat dinner, I go to bed, and I do the same thing the next day. And I want purpose, I, like there's no purpose in my life. Well, these disciples, they, they were giving their life to the greatest purpose there is to give our lives to. Something more important than they could ever fathom on their own. And the reality of that, because the disciples did that, Every single one of us traces our faith back to this moment that began by a handful of faithful disciples. Isn't that amazing? The reason we're sitting here today, the reason churches are gathered across this state and this country and this world are because these disciples were giving their life to something more important and bigger than themselves. They, they, they literally, they, they turned the world upside down for God. How did they do that? Upon realizing this greatness that they had, that they had in their life, this purpose they had in their life, a question arises for me out of that. Maybe it does for you today. Like, what was it that enabled them to be used so mightily by God, right? They did something so amazing. What was it that enabled them to be used so mightily by God? Because listen, these disciples, they were a bunch of nobodies. 
They're not famous. They don't have a large social influence at this time. They didn't have a bunch of followers on social media. They didn't have a platform to, to use. They're a bunch of nobodies in the grand scheme of things. No one knew their name. No one knew where they really came from. And yet history records that these men changed the entire world. How did they do that? Well, I think if we look closely at Acts chapter 1, hear me. If we look closely, we can find three observations from the early church, from these early believers that we can then apply to our life today that cause us to have the same kind of effect they had. Don't you want that today? Don't you want your life to have the same kind of impact that these believers had? Well, let's look at how they did that. Verse 4. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Again, that's Jesus. But to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. The first observation that we can apply into our lives is this. Reaching people requires radical obedience. Reaching people requires radical obedience. Say obedience. There we go. Requires radical obedience. Now, when you read this, you may not see much obedience here. You may think, Evan, I don't see a whole lot of obedience here. But I want to do something really quick, if you can do this with me. Go with me here. I want us to put ourselves in the place of the disciples. Can we do that? Let's leave this room right here and put ourselves in the place of the disciples. And let me tell you why I'm asking you to do that. You see, in verse 4, Jesus tells them, hey, I want you to go back and I want you to stay in Jerusalem. I want you to stay in Jerusalem. Well, listen, what what happened in Jerusalem 40 days before this? See, you you hear that and it's like, oh, they're supposed to go to Jerusalem. But what happened in Jerusalem 40 days before this? Jesus was brutally killed. You see, Jerusalem had made a pretty clear statement about what they thought about Jesus. Jerusalem was where Jesus was whipped, where he was beaten, where he was crucified, where he was buried, where he was killed. Jerusalem was the place where these disciples of Jesus could lose their very lives. Jerusalem hated them, hated their Jesus, and hated their gospel. And so you see these disciples, and for them, logically, it would make no sense to go back to Jerusalem. Like, they've seen the resurrected Jesus. If they want to go tell people about Jesus, the one city you probably don't want to go to is the place that just killed him, right? I'm going to start somewhere else where maybe they're a little more open to Jesus over here. Then we'll, then we'll get to Jerusalem eventually, right? For them, it makes no sense to go back to Jerusalem at all. But what did they do? Look down at verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem. Why would they do this? Why would the disciples go to the place that hated Jesus, that had killed Jesus? Why would they put themselves through that? The reason they did it is because Jesus said to do it. That's simple. Jesus said to do it because they loved the Lord and they obeyed what Jesus said. So when Jesus said, stay here, they stayed. And later when Jesus says, go, they will go. Listen, I I, I want you to hear this today. They weren't worried about their comfort. They weren't worried about their feelings. They weren't worried about their opinions in this moment. You see, we'll never reach the loss without a radical commitment to do what he has told us to do, despite of what we feel or think or want to do. If we're going to reach the loss, if we're going to be a church that has this kind of impact, we have to have radical obedience. So maybe, maybe, listen, maybe it's you, you don't feel comfortable sharing the gospel. Well, listen, it's not about your comfort, friend. Maybe you would say, my opinion is, that I don't need to share the gospel. God's given us people like you, Evan, who can get up on stage and proclaim the gospel, so I don't need to share the gospel in my life. That's your opinion. But listen, it's not about your opinion, friend. 
Maybe your feelings say it makes no sense that I have to share the gospel. If God wants them to know it, he's going to find a way for them to know it. Well, it's not about your feelings, friend. You see, how do we get to a place where we no longer care just about our comforts and our feelings and our opinions? Because they got over it. It was uncomfortable for them to go back to Jerusalem. Maybe someone in the group, their opinion was, hey, let's go over to this city and we'll start the gospel movement there. Like Maybe that's not what they felt like they wanted to do, but they got over it. How do we get over it like the disciples? The only way it happens, hear me, is when we deeply love Jesus above all else and we have deep intimacy with him. You see, we have to love him before we try to obey him. So often in cultural Christianity and the Bible belt that we grow, grow up in, we get this mindset that we just have to follow the things Jesus said. But what Scripture tells us throughout it many times is that it starts with a love for Jesus and then obedience. You see, obedience without love is called legalism. And so we're called to love Jesus. If you love me, you'll keep my commands, he said. He told them that. And so we love Jesus. We have a deep relationship with Jesus. We have intimacy with him. And then as we do that, he transforms us into who he wants us to be. Listen, God is more concerned about what he wants to do in you before he's concerned about what he can do through you. He he wants to make you who he wants you to be. And then as you are molded into that image, then you are launched out for ministry in the way he wants you to serve. Everything starts with an intimate walk with Jesus that leads to our obedience. Um, if If I take personality profiles, every time I take them, you ever take those personality profiles? Like that tell you kind of, sometimes you do it in the workplace, sometimes you just do it for fun on Facebook or something. But a personality profile that tells you kind of who you are a little bit, gives you a window inside of you. And every time I take it, I come up with something like an achiever. I like to set goals. I like to chase after goals. I like challenges. I don't like being complacent. I want to move forward and I want to go forward um, in the right way. And like, I'm always looking to achieve something in my life. And I opened the door as I was studying this this week and how it impacted my life. I had a realization that maybe applies to you as well. I had a realization that the highest achievement I could ever achieve in this life is to love Jesus. That is the greatest thing that I could ever accomplish is just to love Jesus. It's more powerful than my skills. It's more powerful than my talents. It's more powerful than my abilities or my passions. My greatest achievement, and I believe your greatest achievement that we can have in this life, is to love Jesus with everything we have. Because when we love Jesus, we care about the things he cares about. You see, before I can ask you today, when I say together we reach, before I can ask you this question is, are you, are you committed to reaching lost people? I think there's a question I have to ask you before that. And that question is, are you deeply in love with Jesus? Because our commitment to reaching lost people will never come without a deep love for Jesus first. And so do you deeply love Jesus? If you do, if you deeply love Jesus, then you begin to care about the things that Jesus cares about. And when you answered the question earlier, does God love the world? You answered yes. And we believe that. And so if God loves the world and I love God, then I love the world. And I'm sent into the world. That's the reason we go to Guatemala. It's the reason we have the Compassion Center in Guatemala. Because God loves the people of Guatemala. And because God loves the people of Guatemala, 
I love the people of Guatemala, Guatemala, and I want to see them reached by the gospel. It's why we go out and we share the gospel with those around us, because God wants them to know about it. God wants them to know him intimately and personally. You see, if you care about the things he cares about, then you care about reaching people with the gospel. As we talk about this idea in this series and in our, in, in our church of our Christ-centered purpose, this is where your passions and talents and skills and your story and all these things converge to live out what God has called you to live out. At the center of that Christ-centered purpose is always, no matter what it looks like for you, is always reaching people and telling people about Jesus. That's why we've been put on this earth. That's why we are doing what we are doing as a church. And so we have to be obedient to walk into our Christ-centered purpose to then tell people about him. A phrase we say often here is that we want to see people, we want to celebrate people changed by the gospel, right? You've heard that. We want to see people changed by the gospel. Well, church, the only way we see people changed by the gospel is if we tell people the gospel. And so as I'm obedient to what he has called me to do, I faithfully share the gospel with those who are around me. And I go and I share the gospel with everyone who needs to hear it. You see, together we doesn't just mean that we preach the gospel from this stage. And hear me, this stage, worship center stage, student ministry stage, wherever it is, we're going to faithfully preach the gospel from our stages here. We're going we're to proclaim the truth of the gospel. But together we doesn't just mean we preach the gospel from the stages. What together we means is we go into our homes and we proclaim the truth of the gospel. And we go into our neighborhoods and we proclaim the truth of the gospel. And we go into our jobs and we proclaim the truth of the gospel. And we go into our schools and we proclaim the gospel. And we go to NOLA and we proclaim the gospel. And we go to the world and we proclaim the gospel. That's together we. That's who we are as a church. And this is what we value because God values it, and we, it's what he's called us to do. And so you may hear this today in Evan. You're calling me to be obedient, to go share my faith with the world, with those around me, with those in my home, with those in my workplace. You're calling me to do that, and man, that's hard for me. Well, it was hard for them to go to Jerusalem. But I want to tell you this today, this truth today. As we go to proclaim the truth of the gospel, a great truth is you don't go alone. That's our second observation we see today, is reaching people requires supernatural power. Reaching people requires supernatural power. Say power. We see this true for these people. We see it true for us today. Look at verse 5 in here. It says, For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. You see, he tells them what, what his followers are about to experience, what they're about to receive is going to be different than anything else that, that had come before him, anything different that John the Baptist had done for him, any great leader had done before him. This is going to be different. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit uh, in your life. And so look at verse 6. Then when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. I love moments in Scripture when we see that uh, the disciples are just real people, right? It's encouraging to me. I'm a pretty simple man. I like that they're simple people too. And it encourages me as I see this grand idea of them reaching the world. They're still, even in this moment, even looking at resurrected Jesus, they're still simple people and ordinary people. Why can I say that? Well, look, Jesus is telling them this profound truth that I'm going, you're going to receive, you're going to be baptized into the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be with you. Great truth that they get to hear. And they stop and they say, hey, um, Jesus, is this the time where you're going to restore Israel? <laughs> and he's like, man, this whole thing is a lot bigger than Israel. 
in this moment. This is about the world right here. And, and they, they, they kind of get distracted in verse 6. But what I love about Jesus, what he does here, he tells them, hey, look, it's not for you to know the time or the place. He says, hey, it's not any, that, that's none of your business. But then in verse 8, he says, but let me tell you what your business is. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is a verse we're all really familiar with, isn't it? You've heard this verse before. One, Maybe many of you can even you have it memorized and you can quote it. But I don't want you to miss the significance of what's happening in this verse right here. How does it start? But you will receive what? Power. You will receive power. And when you receive that power, then here's what you are to do with it. Um, I had the opportunity several years ago to go down to El Salvador. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but... I got to go on a mission to El Salvador. There was a family down there that uh, I had a connection with, and our church that I was at had a connection with. And so I got to go down there and serve the people in El Salvador. And, and they were sharing the gospel. And, and, and the way that happened there is we would serve sometimes in local churches that were built already down there and set up down there. We would go and equip them and help them. And then we would also do block parties in neighborhoods where we would set up like inflatables and, and, and face painting and have pizza and that kind of stuff. And then kids and families would come. And we would share the gospel with them while they were there. And I got to do things. I had the opportunity, though, a little out of my comfort zone, still something that, you know, I really appreciate getting to do, is I got to, on a Sunday morning, go into a church just like this one. And I got to preach. And, I, of course, I had a translator with me. And so I, I, I assumed the sermon was good because they, they appreciated what this person was saying. I don't even know if they were saying the same thing I was saying. But they were preaching, and we had a good Sunday in there, right? And I enjoyed getting to do that. And then later on, we go to this block party, and we've set up all the stuff, and kids are coming. And, and I was a student pastor, so what I would typically do is let the students go, and they would share, you know, have fun with the kids and share the gospel with the kids. And then I would kind of work the edges with the parents, and I would share the gospel with the parents as we were there. And so that's what I'm doing. And I'm just talking to people, connecting with people. And I remember this moment uh, as we're at this neighborhood doing this block party, that the area we were in, and a lot of El Salvador, if you don't know, it's gang controlled. And, and the MS-13 gang is re really prevalent down there. And, and this neighborhood we were, we were in, this neighborhood was run by the MS-13. They kind of controlled that neighborhood. And, and so while we were doing our block party, they, they set up kind of along the perimeter to watch us, kind of on the corners and even up on a hill to watch us. And they appreciated the fact that we were there because many of the kids we were ministering to were like their kids, right? And we're giving them pizza and, 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 and being kind to them, showing them love. And so they liked the fact that we were there, but they just wanted to make sure we were who we said we were and we weren't doing anything that they, like, they disapproved of. And so we're there. And I remember this moment, and I'm on my knee, and I'm with this kid, and I'm sharing, and I had like a gospel bracelet, and I'm talking to him about the gospel, making him laugh, just having a good time together. And as I'm sitting there talking to this kid, man, I'm called, I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit. It says, the Holy Spirit told me, go down and have a conversation with that guy in the corner. And so I get up off my feet, and let me tell you, I did not want to go to that corner, right? I didn't want to, but I knew the Holy Spirit was empowering me to go to that corner. And so I walked over and I grabbed a translator because I needed one of those. And I grabbed a pizza because I figured that'd be helpful too. And I grabbed a pizza. And I, I walked down to that corner and I asked the guy, I said, hey man, you want some pizza? And he, he's, he, he's what you would think as a game member, tattoos all on his face and all those kind of things. And um, I said, hey man, you want some pizza? And he said, yeah, I'd love some. And so we sit there and I ask him about himself, where he comes from, his family, all that, and begin to transition the conversation into the gospel. Now tell this man about the good news of Jesus Christ, the one that has transformed my life and I believe can transform his life as well. 
And I'd love to sit here today and tell you that on the street corner, this gang member gave his life to Jesus, and he became a pastor, and he started a local church, and all these incredible things. But I don't know the effect the gospel had on his life. But I knew in that moment the Holy Spirit was empowering me to get off my knee, to walk down there, and to have a conversation with him. That's what I was called to do. Empowered by the Holy Spirit was to go. And you are called in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in your homes, in your families, across the globe to get up and to go. But when you go, you don't go alone. The Holy Spirit has empowered you. The Holy Spirit is there building you up, giving you what you need, equipping you for the task at hand. And so when Jesus, when he starts this saying, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses, he's not simply giving them a logistical plan on how to spread the gospel message. He's not looking for a project manager to say, okay, I'm going to hand this gospel over to you, and then here's the steps you need to follow to go about it from that point forward. That's not what he's giving them here. He says, look, the power comes from the Holy Spirit to accomplish the mission of God that was given to them to reach the people. Depend on the Holy Spirit. In fact, he tells them that they're witnesses, and they quite literally are witnesses, aren't they? Like, they've seen Jesus. They're looking at Jesus even in this moment. They follow Jesus. They have seen the gospel in real life. But even for those who follow Jesus that intimately, Jesus didn't start with saying, hey, you're witnesses, go tell everyone. He says, you'll receive power, and then you'll be my witnesses. And I believe each of us, if you're in here and you've been changed by Jesus Christ, you have a story to tell just like these disciples do. I can tell you in my life, Jesus has transformed me and has radically changed my life. And I have a story to tell, but my job isn't just to go out in my own power to do it. I have the Holy Spirit living within me that empowers me to go out and share the good news of Jesus with anyone I come across. This idea of witness, like when we think of evangelism, talk about evangelism, we often focus on the witness part, more practice, more training, more um, tools that we need. But Jesus says, look, you have the power. He's telling them, you will have the power, then go. Like you've been changed by Jesus. You, my spirit is living within you. You have everything you need. Go and tell the world about me. You see, the, 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 the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit living within them, the church became an unstoppable force. And in Acts chapter 1, the church was an unstoppable force. And let me tell you, believers, in 2023, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the church is an unstoppable force. And it's not from our own power. It's not our own strength. It is by the Holy Spirit. And when he has given them the Holy Spirit, he also gave them this expanding approach on how the disciples were to spread the message of the gospel. And these concentric circle approach is where, we st- is where we start. We start where God has placed us, and then we work out from there. It says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. You see, he's saying, hey, you're in Jerusalem. Start here, and then work out from there. Here at First West, we call this Nila, Nola, and the world. Northeast Louisiana is where we start. This isn't just a phrase that we creatively come up with. It's biblical. Nila is our Jerusalem. Your neighborhood, your house, your workplace, your friends, your family, that is your Jerusalem. And then you work out from there. That's why we we created this See To It magazine. You may not even, you may have got one a few weeks ago and maybe that you didn't look at it. I would encourage you, man, take some time looking through here because this illustrates our Nila, Nola in the world, our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. 
You see in here, we, we see how we're reaching people in Nila through so many different ministries and through giving and through what we are accomplishing. And then we go to New Orleans. And let, let me tell you, could you imagine the impact on our country if New Orleans was changed by the gospel? The, the impact, the ripple effect that would have on our society and our world. And so we go to NOLA to share the truth of the gospel. We send to NOLA to reach people with the gospel. And then we go to the ends of the earth. We go to Wales. We go to Guatemala. We go to, to Asia. We go all over the globe to tell people about the good news of Jesus. But I want you to remember, some of you will never leave this country. Some of you, you won't go to these places I've named. But God has you right here. And God has empowered you with his spirit. And listen, there are lost people that need to know the truth and the hope of the gospel. And you are God's plan A for getting the gospel to them. And so you have to go empowered by the spirit to be a witness for him. And so share the gospel with people right where you're at. Reach people right where you're at. If you say, Evan, I don't know anyone who's not a Christian. I don't know anyone who doesn't know the gospel. Expand your circle. Because there's plenty of people. You, get to, you need to get to know people who need to know the truth of the gospel. Listen, the quickest way in, in, in your intimacy, in your walk with Jesus, the quickest way that God can make you into who he wants you to be is to use you exactly where you are. God has placed you there, not by accident. So he wants to use you right where you are. But in, in the grand scheme of life and in the busyness of the schedules we run, it's easy to lose track of this. It's easy to forget that the world needs the gospel. It's easy to forget that our neighbor needs the gospel. We just get focused in on our job and our family and our things. And so we have to keep it on the forefront. We have to remember what God has called us to and how he has empowered us. And that's why this third observation, the final one, is so important. The third observation is this. Reaching people requires fervent prayer. Reaching people requires fervent prayer. Say prayer. Let me ask you a question. How do you make decisions in life? especially like the big ones. How do you process decisions? For some people, they just trust their gut, right? They got a good gut. They trust their gut. And they're going to follow that. Maybe you got a magic eight ball that you'll turn over and you'll look at it and it'll tell you yes or no or no chance or whatever you need to hear. Some people, you like to talk to people and, and like find wise people you consider wise and say, hey, I'm thinking through this and this. Which one should I do or how should I make this decision? I saw a sad fact uh, uh, here recently. When Google first started, Google was created for information, right? So you Google in there like, hey, how, uh, what, what is the closest restaurant to my house? Or you would Google, what is 49 divided by 7? Or you would like Google information that you needed to know. Well, the trend here recently over the last several years is people aren't really turning. They're still turning to Google for information. But at an alarming rate, people are turning to Google for advice, they're asking Google what they should do when they don't have any friends. Or what should I do when my parent passes away? Or Google, how do I find my purpose in life? And I don't know about you, but I feel like Google is a really poor place to turn for advice and decision making. You see, here the disciples, they have an important decision, an important task ahead of them. And they're undertaking this huge responsibility. And what do they do? It tells us they turn to prayer. Look at verse 12. It says, they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. Mount of Olives is where the Lord ascended into heaven, by the way. It also, and what they tell us here, that is where Jesus will return as well, to the Mount of Olives. And it says the Mount of Olives is about a Sabbath day journey away. That's about two-thirds of a mile is what we would say. So they're kind of outside the city. 
says, says then when they arrived back in, they went to the room upstairs. This is likely, this upper room is likely the room that they had the Last Supper in. So they're back to that same familiar room that they were in before, but this time it's just them. And you see the names of the disciples that were there with them. Look at verse 14. While they're in this upper room, it says, They were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. You see, that, 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 it says they got into this upper room, and they devoted themselves continually united in prayer. And they didn't give up. They didn't stop praying until God showed up and did exactly what he said he was going to do. You see, what I love, it says here that they were united. I think this is really important for the church. As we say, together we reach, we have to be a united church as we do that. There's every reason in the world that these disciples would not be united. They could have got up in that room. Think about it. And they could have been like, hey, Peter, man, you need to get out of the room. You're the one who denied Jesus. I know he forgave you, but I haven't got over it yet. You need to get out of here. Or maybe they start like accusing each other like, hey, you hung out a lot with Judas. You should have seen that he wasn't who he said he was. And so you're not a good judge of character, so you need to get out of here. And they could have easily not been united in this room, but it says they were continually united in what? In prayer. That they realized that they needed to get on their knees before God to know exactly what they needed to do and how to do it. And for the power that was needed in this moment, they knew they had to turn to the Lord in prayer. Listen, I believe God in all of his power has chosen to limit his activity to the prayers of his people. Often what we see, hear me, this is important. Often what we see throughout scripture and in our lives is God in his sovereignty and power, he can do what he pleases. But he often chooses to limit his activity to the prayers of his people. No, God doesn't need us, friend. He doesn't need us. God, listen, he doesn't need our prayers even. And and, and in and of itself, on its own, our prayer is not powerful. But the one we pray to is all-powerful. And so as we turn to him in prayer, it's not just us trying to get our own strength. It is us coming before the Lord to bring our requests and our heart and our soul to him. And often how we think about prayer is that I'm bringing my request to God and then asking him to answer them. But really what we see about prayers is I turn to God, he begins to transform me into who he wants me to be, and my heart is aligned with the heart of God. And so what I'm praying for are the things that please the heart of God. And so I pray to the Lord, and he is transforming me to be who he wants me to be. And the one we pray to is all-powerful in God and his power and his sovereignty. He responds to the prayers of his people. In James, it tells us the prayer of a righteous man is powerful in its effect. And the disciples, they were united in this moment. The women, they were united. The brothers of Jesus were united in prayer. And listen, we will never be what God has called us to be. And we will never do what God has called us to do without a fervent commitment to prayer. That is who we are to be as a church. We pray that the Lord would use us. We pray that the Lord would put us in opportunities to share the gospel. We pray for the souls of lost people. Listen, when was the last time you went to your knees and desperately prayed for someone who was destined to spend eternity apart from God? Like, when, if we care about the things that Jesus cares about, 
Is our heart breaking over the lostness around us? I told you earlier, expand your circle. You don't have to go to Guatemala to find lostness. Look right around us. It's in our community. It's in our neighborhoods. It's in our jobs. It is all around us. And are we so broken by that it leads us to pray? Are we so broken by that it leads us to depend on the Holy Spirit for His empowerment? Is it so breaking to us that it causes us to step out in obedience to share the good news of the gospel? See, today I think we may need to have a heart check. Because at the beginning of this time together, I asked you a few questions. And I asked you, does God love everyone? And you said yes, and I did too. And I asked you, does God want everyone to know him? And we all said yes. And I asked you, does, did Jesus die for everyone to know God? And you said yes. And I said, has God made a way, I asked you, has God made a way possible for everyone to know Jesus? And we all said yes. And the answer to that that we see in Acts chapter 1 and we see today is that you and I, our church, is God's plan A for helping people know the truth of Jesus Christ. And we have to be a church that is committed to reach. And Nila and Nola and the world, because we have to fight back the gates of hell, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that people know the truth of the gospel. Listen, if you feel like your bubble, the people around you, everyone pretty much knows about Jesus, let me tell you some things. Do you know that 59% of the world population is considered unreached? That's 4.6 billion people that need the hope of the gospel. You see, our Christian, you, you may feel this, but let me give you this stat. The Christian population worldwide is declining on most continents. And it is projected by 2030 that Islam is expected to overtake Christianity as the largest global religion by population. 2030, that's not very far away. You see, church, as we are in this room and we gather together, we must be committed to what we say. Together we reach. And we go from this place united in prayer, empowered by the Holy Spirit, living out in radical obedience to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. So for some of you, you need to respond to that today. I, in fact, I think all of us need to respond in a few different ways today. And I want to invite you to respond. For some of you, how you need to respond today is you need to allow the gospel to reach your heart. So I talk about together we reach. We can't go reach others if we haven't been changed by the gospel first. And I told you the facts of the gospel, the things we must believe for the gospel. But what we see in Scripture is when we surrender our life to Jesus, it's not just affirming a, fact, a, a, a statement of beliefs, but it's believing He is the Son of God and then becoming His disciple. It's following Him. You see, part of the reason, or the reason Jesus had to come was because of something called sin. And sin is when I think I know better than God. God told me to live this way because it's good and it's perfect and it's holy. Instead, I chose to live this way because I think I know what's best for my life. And Scripture tells us, but I don't think I even have to point to Scripture. I think I, you can just intrinsically know today that our sin leads to brokenness. And we know what brokenness is. We feel brokenness. And it tells us in Scripture, and I know by the transformation of my life, that the only way out of that brokenness is through surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. And when that happens, Scripture tells me, therefore, anyone found in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and look, the new 
has come. And I'm no longer bound by the brokenness of sin, but I, re- I am redeemed by the Son of God. I get to live a life of freedom, empowered by the Spirit. And so maybe today your step is you need to allow the gospel to reach your heart. You need to surrender the gospel. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in one moment. For those of you in the room who would say, Evan, I I am transformed by the gospel, and I am called to go reach this world with the hope of the gospel. What I want us to do today, we talked about prayer and praying for the lost a moment ago. And I believe all of us in this room, we know someone who needs to know the hope and the truth of the gospel. And so I want to give you a moment to pray for that person, whoever it's laid upon your heart, whether it's a family member, whether it's a child, whether it's a neighbor, a coworker, whoever it is. I want to give you about 20 seconds to pray by name for that person silently. Just pray that they would come to know the truth of the gospel. And then I want to pray for you that you would have the obedience to go and share the gospel with them. So pray for that person right now. Heavenly Father, God, we, uh, as I said earlier, we thank you for the gospel. God, I pray that as we say together we reach, that wouldn't just be a motto that we say, but that would be a creed that we live by. That we would go all over the world, starting right here in Nila, go to Nola, go to the world to make disciples. And God, I pray if there's anyone in this room who needs to know the truth of the gospel and they they need the gospel to reach into their life and transform their heart. God, they're tired of the brokenness and having no purpose. And God, they want to know you for who you are and they want to surrender their life to you. I pray today that they would have the boldness to do that. And I say boldness and words like courage in these moments, but God, it is the most freeing thing they could ever do because it is their ultimate purpose. God, you want relationship with them. And would they surrender their life to that relationship? So I want to ask, as, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you're in this room and you would say, Evan, I feel the brokenness in my life. Evan, I want to have the purpose that you talk about. And today, I want to surrender my life to follow Jesus. I want that hope, Evan. I want to do that today. If that's you in this room, would you just raise your hand right now? Anyone say, I see you. Amen. Amen. If you raise your hand, would you just look at me? Just if you have your hand raised, I see you. Hey, what I'm going to ask you to do at the end of our time together today is just, I'll be right here. We'll have someone else right here. I'd love to just talk to you for a minute. If you could do that, I would love to talk to you what it looks like to follow Jesus. I would love to help you with that. If you would just come right here at the end of our time together, okay? God, for everyone else in the room right now, as they're praying for someone in their life, that needs to know the truth of the gospel. God, I pray as we saw the one, that, as we talked about today, God, we believe that you are all powerful. God, you move when we pray. And so, God, would our hearts be molded to your heart and would we pray for the things you care about and I know that you care about lost people coming to know you. And so, God, I pray for those people. I pray that we would be obedient to go share the gospel. We wouldn't just count on it to happen by happen chance, but we would be intentional with taking your message just as these early believers were. God, would we be committed to prayer? Would we love you so deeply it leads to obedience? God, would we remember that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit in our lives? God, I'm praying for the names that are being prayed across this room right now, that they would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. They would experience the freedom of salvation. 
God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.